If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're visiting with us, we are currently working through a series on the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, and today we come to this glorious chapter of 58 verses, but relax. We're only going to do um, half of it in our time together uh, this morning. So um, just keep that in mind. About uh, two and a half weeks ago, I, um, I was out in Michigan visiting my granddaughter and my son, daughter-in-law and granddaughter, but especially visiting my granddaughter. And uh, I got a, a call from a good friend, uh, Mary Jane. And Mary Jane told me that Joe, Joe Crumlish, had died. Joe Crumlish was a good friend of the family. He had coached all three of my boys in soccer. And um, so she asked if I could come back early and, um, and do the service. And of course, we were more than happy to do that. I want to I just read part of a text that she sent me. Um, we came back and we had the funeral about two weeks ago. Mary Jane says this, um, Thank you for rearranging your schedule to speak at Joe's homegoing service. Our, our families heard the gospel and saw the difference between a dead religious burial without hope and a joyful celebration of a life that is still living, just not with us, but alive with God. My heart is aching because I miss my love, but rejoicing that he's with his precious Savior. Once again, thank you, my friend. I couldn't help, as I came to 1 Corinthians 15, to think about Joe's story. Now, it's true. Some people would have said that as I stood at his graveside and talked to the people about the hope of the resurrection. And when we talk about the hope of the resurrection, folks, we don't just mean we're just some floating mass out there. We mean there is a day coming when all who have died will be reunited to their body and will live the life that none of us can possibly imagine in the new heaven and the new earth. Do you, do you know that? I mean, that is, that is Joe's story. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's also going to be your story. 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about our story of bodily resurrection. Now, let, let, me, let me take just a moment, and you'll see it in the text, but let me take just a moment to explain something to you that's really, really, really important. You cannot speak about the bodily resurrection of God's people, those who have trusted Christ, without talking about Christ who died was buried and resurrected for us. They're not separate events. They're all connected. One is the foundation of the other. You can't disconnect them. You know what happens in our day? In America? You'll often find people coming along, experts in science and naturalism, and, and with all of their questions saying, 
Christ could not possibly have resurrected. And they'll try to come up with every excuse imaginable to explain it away. He didn't really die. It just seemed like he died. And he resuscitated when he was in the grave. I don't know anything about, I I don't know any example in all of literature where Romans who put somebody on the cross allowed them, didn't, didn't make sure they were dead when they died. Others will say, well, 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 well. This whole thing was concocted about religion, about, about resurrection. So all those 500 people we're going to read about in this passage that think they saw Jesus, it was a mass hallucination. Now, folks, all I can tell you is it takes a whole lot more faith to believe in a mass hallucination than it does in the reality of what we find in the Gospels. In our day, people tend to attack the historicity of Christ's resurrection. In Corinth, these are connected because if it affects Christ, it affects us. Do you see that? At Corinth, they didn't question this. They didn't question that Jesus had resurrected from the grave. They, they, They knew that. They questioned this. And so people often say, well, like, how does that happen? Well, in the ancient world, there was a view held by many that suggested that when you died, you were finally released from your your body and you would never have to be imprisoned by it again. It's called dualism, ontological dualism, but just dualism. And so it has this view that that people spend all their life captured in this body, and finally the soul is set free. And apparently, that had infiltrated into the church at Corinth. They all believed Jesus had died and had literally resurrected. No one questioned that. But because the world around them accepted this idea of dualism, they kind of thought, yeah, but we won't be resurrected bodily, because everybody knows that it doesn't quite work that way. And Paul's going like, no, you can't do that. You can't separate these two. They are intricately connected together. So just a little bit of background as we come to this particular text. Now, Paul is brilliant as a communicator. And, and what he does is before he actually talks about our bodily resurrection... He talks about what everybody at Corinth would have agreed upon, Christ's resurrection. He wants to build that foundation before he goes after this deception that they're buying into from the world around them. So, in the text, and I think I have a little outline up here somewhere. Yeah, we'll, we'll skip that one. Yeah, so there we go. Here, here is just an overview of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to just try to work through the first two sections in our time together this morning. But you see where he starts, the foundation? He wants to remind them of what they already know, and that will then become the basis of what he wants to talk about in verses 12 and following. What is it that they know? Look at chapter one, 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Now, they they believe this. By this gospel you are saved. 
if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you will have believed in vain. Folks, if we lose the resurrection of Christ, we lose everything. Do you realize that? Do you know, if Buddha never existed in six, seven, 600 BC, BCs, back, way back then, it wouldn't make any difference for the Buddhist religion. It just wouldn't make any difference at all. If a particular God is true or not true in Hinduism, it doesn't matter. There's hundreds of thousands more of them. But if Christ did not resurrect from the grave, we are hopeless. Joe Crumlish would have no hope now and would not be in the presence of Christ if Christ did not resurrect. Paul goes on to say this in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This isn't like peripheral stuff. This is central to the Christian faith. Here it is. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Do you know this week, several young people realized that they were sinners in vacation Bible school. And you say, well, don't you have to be like 12 or 15 years of age before you can get saved? Nope. Nope. You've got to realize that you are a sinner, unable to save yourself. And you come to the only one that can, Jesus Christ. You bow the knee to him. You ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And this week, several children were swept into the kingdom of God. Do you realize that? Yeah, that's what it's about. I, I was away all week. I was up at a teen camp, preaching all week at a teen camp up in Reading. And we had about 100 teens up there. And um, several of them were swept into the kingdom this week. They trusted Jesus Christ because they came to realize that there's good news. And that good news is that Christ has come and he has died and his death was in fulfillment of the promises from the Old Testament. He died, according to the Scriptures, for our sins. He was buried. He was as dead as dead could be. And he resurrected according to the Scriptures. If you're visiting with us, we're not wacky people. Well, some people may think we're wacky, but well, there's a couple of us, actually, that probably are, come to think of it. But what we are is people that believe with all, all our heart in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference for us. And so he says, this is what you have believed, Corinth. You believe that. And you know it was validated by a whole bunch of witnesses who saw Christ after he resurrected. Look at what he says in the next few verses. Verse 5. And that he, he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Do you see what I mean on a mass hallucination? That would be massive for 500 of us to see the exact same thing all at the same time. What makes a whole lot more sense is that he appeared to them. 
Look at what he goes on to say. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. You could go check it out, Paul says. Go talk to those people. Most of them are still alive. They can tell you what they saw. They saw the resurrected Christ. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. One of the things you find about Paul is he never can get over the fact that God saved him. And not just saved him. Not just took the greatest enemy of the gospel, Acts 9, and turned him into the greatest asset of the gospel. But that he actually made Paul an apostle. One of those lead guys through which scripture would be given to us. It's amazing. And Paul says, I can't believe it because of what I had done. Look at verse 9. For I'm the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, That is what we preach, and that is what you believe. So Paul says, look, guys, you believe this because it's true. It fulfills Scripture. It's been validated by hundreds of witnesses. Paul says, go talk to them. They're still alive. And Paul said, God even, Christ even appeared to me in a vision. I saw the resurrected Lord. And he used me, and my life is nothing but a statement of grace as he continues to use me in ways that I can't possibly imagine. Isn't that everybody's story if you've come to Christ? Isn't it? I am what I am by the grace of God. And so I, in faith, I work and I do things because I love him. But at the end of the day, it's always the grace of God working through me. I mean, that's who we are, folks. And Paul says to the Corinthians, that's the message I gave you. That's the message Peter gave you. That's the message all the apostles give you because it's the only message there is that counts. And you believe that. So that's the foundation Paul builds. And all the Corinthians at this particular point are going, yeah, 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 we believe that. And Paul says, okay, Well, then, like, I'm not getting the fact that you don't make the right connection here. Look at verse 12. Look what he says. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? No, no, Paul says, look, okay, you get the resurrection of Christ. Oh, yes, oh, yes, yeah, fully. You believe he bodily came out of the grave, transformed, glorified body. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But you don't believe you're going to have a bodily resurrection. No, I'm not so sure about that one. Maybe, but I'm not so sure. Paul said, you can't disconnect them. If you try to mess with this one, you've just messed with this one. It's all one package. It's all connected. So look at what he says. He talks about what happens negatively 
if we deny this, and then positively. First of all, negatively. Look at what he says. Verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Do you see that connection, folks? You can't lose, you lose one, you lose the other. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Paul says, if you deny that, the bodily resurrection of those that have trusted Christ, the Joe Crumlishes of this world, then you deny this. And if you deny this, that Christ is resurrected, our preaching is a total lie. Every Sunday, James or Tim or myself get up here and speak, it's just baloney. You shouldn't even listen to it. You shouldn't even come. Because it's just baloney. There's nothing true about it. We're lying to you every week. You know, some people say, you know, I, 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 I like Christians. They're nice people. You know, they're little off on some things, but I really like them. No, we're teaching you a lie. But Paul goes on to say this. Look at what he says in verse, in verse 15 there. But he did not raise him, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. You know what this is telling me? All those young children this week that trusted Christ. Those teens that trusted Christ up, in their, uh, uh, up at camp this week. It's not true. If, if Christ didn't resurrect, they don't have a chance with being forgiven by God. There must be one who has come who has both paid for our sins and then resurrected out of the grave to say, this is what everyone can have because Christ is the victorious over sin and death and the devil. Do you see? It's a full package, folks. And if it's not true, every week we are lying to you from this pulpit. And all the things we say to these nice little kitties about you can be forgiven and going to heaven, it's pure baloney. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know, sometimes I think I've said this to people. And there's a level of truth to it, I suppose. I told people that don't believe the gospel, I say, you know, if you're right and I'm wrong, we're both just going to be unconscious for all eternity and it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. But if I'm right and you're wrong, you're in a heap of trouble. But what Paul says here is if they're right and I'm wrong, living my entire life invested in this gospel and moving toward people to tell them the truth about it, 
You should do nothing but pity me because it's a total waste of my time. Do you see? Look at verse 20. If not, Paul talks about that, but look how he switches to the positive in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, this isn't quite first fruits, but um, we have a raspberry patch out in our back. And we kind of get early raspberries. You know, I don't know about you. I'm like, I'm very ignorant when it comes to gardening. I just eat the produce. That's all I do. Okay. But but I know sometimes, you know, you'll get some beginning raspberries and, and, and my wife will say, honey, there's a lot more coming. And she's right. It's, just, it's a foretaste of what's coming. And Paul says, Christ is the first fruit, the guarantee that more's coming. What's happened to him will happen to each one who has trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. For since death came through a man, the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He does something fascinating. Paul often does this. He'll do it in far greater detail in a book he writes after this called the Book of Romans. And what he says is you can take all of humanity and you can put them into two buckets. Everybody is born in the bucket called in Adam. And because we're connected to Adam, we are both sinners by birth and sinners by choice. And what comes to us is death. Separation from God spiritually and one day separation from our bodies physically. In Adam, all died. That's one bucket. And we were all born in that bucket. In Christ, all can be alive. You don't have to stay in this bucket. You can go to that bucket. You can come under his lordship, and now your life is marked by one thing. Life. You may not believe it looking at me now, but I'm spiritually alive. Now, I don't always feel it physically. Like being up at camp, that camp this week, you know, and all the stuff you do up there, man, alive. I thought a couple of days I wasn't going to be able to walk again. You know what that's like? Oh, my knees are killing me, you know. With all these, just like, it's just killing me. But, but, so I, I, I know I'm dying physically. Like I get that one. I know that's going to happen. I, but, We are already alive spiritually. And one day, this body will be so transformed that I won't have any aches or pains or sickness or or anything ever again. It's an amazing thing to even think about, isn't it? But it's true. So Paul says there's two buckets. And he says, let me just sweep you through history very, very quickly from, from, from the Christ event to the end. Here it is. Look at verse 23. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, he has already resurrected. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. 1 Thessalonians 4 gives us more details here. I said at the graveside, at Joe's graveside, I said, folks, 
Joe's going to get a new body before we do. Because 1 Thessalonians says, when Christ comes, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are still alive will be transformed as we join and meet them in the air. But Joe gets a new body before I do, if, if, if I'm alive when Christ comes. And, and so this text says there is the first fruit, and then there's the coming of Christ. And at his coming, there will be this massive transformation. And then he says this. Then the end will come when he stands over, when he, I'm sorry, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Now, very, very quickly, listen to what happens at the end of the age. He just gives us a glimpse. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Do you know when you go to the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20 and 21, you have this declaration by John. At the end of the age, there will be no more death. Christ will reign. He'll conquer all of his enemies. And the last enemy that he will destroy, there will no longer be death. No physical death. No separation from God. There will be perfect life and union forever. That's an amazing story. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that he does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. Just a clarification there. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who puts everything under him so that God may be all in all. Do you know history is going somewhere? History is not some cycle that just kind of goes back again and again. There's philosophical systems that suggest that. No, 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 no. History is going somewhere. History is going from the Christ event, he is resurrected, that's, the, that's, that's the, the first fruit. It's the guarantee. At his coming, there will be bodily resurrection of all those who have died in Christ. Christ will rule and take control over everything. And at the end, death itself will be destroyed. And the Son will hand it all over to the Father, who will be all in all forever. Do you see? And, you know, these Corinthians, they didn't know what they were thinking. And Paul says, that's the story. Why would you want to step into part of that story and say, oh, yeah, but at this point, no, that's not going to happen. Paul says, no. This is our story. This is what God's doing. I don't care what philosophical Greek systems tell you. We know this about Christ. And that is a guarantee of all of that. Do you see? And then very quickly, in verse 29, Paul just gives kind of two experiential things to, to throw out there to basically say, look, guys, if, if, if you are denying all of this, 
then why are these things going on? And I have to tell you, the next verse I'm going to read is one of the hardest verses to interpret in all the Bible, okay? There's 40-plus interpretations on it. I'm not going to list them for you, okay? I'm just telling you. It's, it's, I'll give you my take on it real quick, and we'll move on. But here it is. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And then he stops and he just moves right on. And you're going like, Paul, stop. Like, what are you talking about? Okay? Let me give you my take on it. Let me tell you what he's not saying. Paul is not saying this. Hey, there's certain people who have died. They never became Christians. So like you'll find, for instance, in the Mormon tradition, you can be baptized so that something special will happen to them. That's how some people have understood this passage. That's heresy, folks. It's wrong. I would argue that he's saying this. There are people who have had an impact on your life. You're not a Christian. And they've shared Christ and shared Christ and shared Christ. And you've resisted, resisted, resisted. And they've died. And you've been so impacted by their life. And you actually now believe that they are with Christ. So you are going to make a commitment to Christ and be baptized because of what those who have died the impact they have had in your life. I think that's what Paul's saying in this passage. So Paul's looking at the Corinthians. And he says, Corinthians, you guys are denying this resurrection stuff, if not directly, indirectly, because it's all connected to Jesus. Then why in the world are people getting baptized because of the testimony of saints that have gone on before us? And Paul says, why we're at it, look at my own life, Paul says. Look at what he says. And as for us, verse 30, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I, I, face death every, I, I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what in the world have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do you remember that old beer commercial? Get all the gusto you can out of life. I don't remember which one it was. doesn't matter. You know what I'm talking about? Paul says, if this stream of Christ's resurrection and our bodily resurrection and Christ ruling and death being destroyed and ultimately God getting all the glory, if that's not true, why in the world am I going through all this persecution here at Ephesus? Rather, I should follow that beer commercial. Get all the gusto you can out of life. You go around once in life. Let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die and then it's all over. Do you see? But Paul says, I don't believe that. I'm willing to die for my Lord and he will die for his Lord. He ends in verse 33 and 34, giving a final exhortation. Brothers, sisters, he says, do not be misled. 
Bad company corrupts good character. Don't buy into a philosophy that goes counter to the biblical worldview. Come back to your senses as you ought. Did you ever try to wake somebody up who's just dead asleep? When they wake up, they're kind of... Well, have you ever been that way where you woke up and you're like disoriented? You don't even know quite where you are? Paul is saying Christians sometimes live disoriented. They're groggy. They're drunk. He says, wake up. Come to your senses. See life for what it is, which is Christ and all that he's done. And stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God among you. And I say this to your shame. You know what Paul says? The resurrection's true. Christ's resurrection is true. If you know Christ, your bodily resurrection is true. Come to your senses. Live all of life out of that reality. Believe it. See it. Embrace it. And share it. In the way you live and in what you say. I would be remiss if I didn't say also that perhaps you're visiting with us here today and this stuff is a little bit fuzzy to you. Maybe you're a little bit nervous about some of it. I don't know. But I want you to know it's true. And if you embrace the reality of this text, you too today, like those children that got saved this week, you could be saved today by coming into the kingdom. That's a marvelous thing. Christ calls you. He says, I've died for you. I resurrected for you. Come to me. And you too will be resurrected one day. So for all of us, let's live out the reality of 1 Corinthians 15. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the, the clarity of, 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 and the reality of the gospel that Jesus Christ has died for our sins was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. Lord, for anyone here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may this be the day that the reality of the resurrection changes everything. And for those that believe it, may we really believe it, Lord. May it change the way we live and what we say and what we do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.